Hello, and welcome to Decarbonize, the clean energy podcast from Fresh Energy. Fresh Energy is a Minnesota nonprofit working to speed our state's transition to a clean energy economy. My name is Joe Olson. I do communications here at Fresh Energy, and I'm here today to share with you a recording of our recent webinar featuring a conversation between Fresh Energy's Jay Drake Hamilton and Bree Kerber, where we'll get a behind-the-scenes look into what we can expect at this year's COP26. Now, I just want to note that, as luck would have it, we were in the midst of a thunderstorm during the recording, so there are a few small technical glitches right at the start. So... Be aware, and with that, I will begin the recording. Thank you for tuning in. Hello again. Thank you all for joining Fresh Energy today for this webinar. My name is Brianna Kerber. My colleagues and friends call me Bree, so that's what you'll probably hear Jay refer to me as today. I am a policy communications associate here on the Fresh Energy team, and I don't know about you, but I can hardly believe that we are almost already to the end of October which means that the Global Climate Summit, the United Nations Climate Change Conference, also known as COP26, is happening in just a few weeks now. The best part about that is that our very own Senior Science Policy Director, Jay Drake Hamilton, is once again going to be attending that conference. So um, a lot has happened for climate at the federal level this year. So we thought, we thought we should really take advantage of this opportunity to sit down with Jay and ask her uh, for her insight into what we can expect from this year's summit. And I feel very fortunate because I basically get to kick off this webinar by asking Jay a whole bunch of questions about the summit. Things like who's going to be there, what we can expect to stand out from the conference, um, and what the U.S. especially is bringing to the table. Um, then in about 40, 35, 40 minutes or so, we will open up the floor for a Q&A session. So if you have a question come up throughout our conversation today, you can uh, drop that in the Q&A box that you'll see at the bottom of your screen. And then we'll do our best to answer those questions when we get to that portion of the hour. The Q&A box is uh, the best option because you can actually upvote other questions that you see if you really like um, one of the questions that you see in that box. So with that, I think we are ready to get going here. Um, Jay, if you would like to start us off by introducing yourself whenever you're ready and briefly talking about your work for Fresh Energy. Yes, I got thrown off the Zoom, but I'm back. Hi, everyone. I'm Jay Drake Hamilton, the Senior Director of Science Policy. Fresh Energy is 30 years old this year. I work here on all climate change action policy. We're working toward bold, ambitious energy and climate. Fresh energy speeds Minnesota's transition to a clean energy economy. We want to grow good paying jobs that are clean energy jobs. We want a vibrant economy and thriving communities for generations to come. How can we dramatically reduce carbon emissions in a way that improves our communities and benefits everyone. And Bree. Yeah. Well, thanks for giving us that, that quick preview into the work that, that you're helping lead at Fresh Energy and all of the work that, that our team is doing as well. Um, before I ask Jay our first question here, I think we should all take a second to get our geographical bearings. So we have included a handy map 
to remind everyone exactly where Glasgow is in the world. Um, and Jay, when it comes to today's topic, the UN Climate Change Conference, which is taking place at the SEC Center in Glasgow, how many times have you attended and how does this year's conference stand out? So far, I have re represented Fresh Energy at five UN climate change conferences, beginning in Montreal in 2005. My sixth COP will be COP26 in Glasgow, Scotland. It will be the most important global meeting on climate change since the UN climate talks in Paris back in 2015 that produced the Paris Agreement, which came into force on October 5th 2016, five years ago, with 192 nations a party to the Paris Agreement. Out of the 197 par parties, or 197 nations in the older UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, the UK and Italy together are the host countries in collaboration. Um, on this photo on our, your screen, you'll see what people call the armadillo. And in that is the all important blue zone where the negotiations happen. That is the zone I will be in for two weeks. And get this, about 25,000 people are registered for this COP. 8,000 of those people will be negotiators. Isn't that amazing? 8,000 negotiators for um, at least 192 countries. About 17,000 of us, including Fresh Energy, will be observers. It is critical that this be an, an in-person meeting. Negotiators need to look one another in the eye across the table. These are very serious negotiations and the whole world is watching them. And in-person results are gonna result in more ambitious agreements. And I think I'll turn it back to you, Brie. Yeah, well, thanks for, for giving us um, that information. Um, obviously, this year, there have been some big changes to US federal climate leadership. And as a result, heading into COP, what are some of the, the clean energy or climate developments that the U.S. is is bringing to the table this year? And can you tell us a little bit more about each of those things? Yes, well, many of you who know me know that I'm the science director. So science is very important to me. So I would be remiss if I didn't say several months ago, the latest report came out from the IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And it presented dire evidence for speedy action. And then just last week, a week ago, the International Energy Agency released its World Energy Outlook 2021. And it shows that a new energy economy is emerging, but not yet quickly enough to reach net zero by 2050. Governments, mostly starting with the US, need to send an unmistakable signal of clean energy ambition and action at COP26 to accelerate this transition. The World Energy Outlook is a handbook for the Climate Change Conference. 
it offers a crucial opportunity to accelerate climate action and the clean energy transition. The IEA makes it available free online. It delivers stark warnings about the current direction of our world. How do we move toward a pathway that would have a good chance of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius and so avoiding the worst effects of climate change? The executive director of the IEA said that governors need to give a clear and unmistakable signal that they are committed to rapidly scaling up the clean and resilient technologies of the future. The social and economic benefits of accelerating clean energy transitions are just humongous and the costs of inaction are immense. In May, the IEA released the net zero emissions by 2050 scenario. And this is consistent with limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees C. In it, the demand for fossil fuels peaks in a couple years in 2025 and global CO2 emissions would fall by 40% by 2050. Here's some other good news. The recent Chinese announcement that it is going to end its support of building plants abroad is really great news. And now we need to get a lot more of that kind of news. Today's climate pledges that nations have made so far would result in only 20% of the emissions by 2030 that are necessary. 20% of the reductions that we need. We need 80% more. So reaching the path requires investment in clean energy projects and infrastructure that more than triples the amount of clean energy we have now in just the next decade. My favorite quote from that IEA report is, this is a race that no one wins unless everyone finishes the race. Turn it back to you, Bree. Hmm. I, I really love that quote. And, and thank you for reminding us just how imperative it is that the U.S. shows up to COP26 with something truly strong to stand on. Um, with that in mind, what would you say is maybe the ultimate goal or, or set of goals for COP26? And who from, say, the Biden administration is, is going to be negotiating for those goals in Glasgow? Now we're going to drink. Drill down on COP26, what do we need to achieve? One, we need to secure global net zero by mid-century and keep our real goal of not more than 1.5 degrees C within reach. Countries are being asked to come forward in Glasgow with ambitious 2030 emissions reductions targets that align with reaching net zero by the middle of the century. To deliver on these stretching targets, countries will need to, for example, accelerate the phase out of coal, and Minnesota is already on that path, thank goodness, to curtail deforestation, to speed up the switch to electric vehicles, encourage investment in renewables. The second goal, 
we must adapt to protect communities and natural habitats. We know the climate is already changing. It will continue to change even as we reduce emissions. Some of the effects will be devastating. At COP26, we need to work together to enable and encourage countries affected by climate change to protect and restore ecosystems, build defense, warning systems, and resilient infrastructure and agriculture to avoid the loss of homes, livelihoods, and even the loss of lives. The third point, we need to mobilize finance to deliver on those first two goals Developed countries, including the United States, must make good on their promise to mobilize at least $100 billion in climate finance per year. And what we promised to do in the Paris Agreement is to do that by 2020, and we haven't. Why do we have to do that? We need that $100 billion down payment to unlock trillions of dollars in private finance and public finance, again, for the poorest countries. And fourth, we all need to work together at COP26 to deliver. In other words, we need collaboration. This is to be the decade for delivery of real climate change action. We must finalize the Paris rule book the detailed rules that made the Paris Agreement operational. We must accelerate action to tackle the climate crisis through collaboration among governments, among businesses, and civil society. Now, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has said in the U.S., she has set a deadline of Halloween, which is the first day of COP26, for passage of the reconciliation bill and a smaller bipartisan infrastructure bill by Congress. So the world is waiting for specifics on the US climate plan. We know that Biden, President Biden is set to attend the first two days of the conference, number one and two, with a coterie of 12 of his administration's most senior officials representing his whole of government climate offensive. Before president arrives in Scotland, the administration will show us some additional cards about how and what with authorities, the 50 to 52 emissions reduction pledge will be received to tell the world we have a path. Now climate envoy for president Biden John Kerry says Biden's climate pledge could in fact be reached through a variety of different avenues. Now, interestingly, our own Senator Tina Smith says that a clean energy future is going to happen. And she reminds us that what she wants is the question is whether we lead the clean energy future or whether we follow other countries. I had a chance to meet with the US Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Granholm last week. And she said, you can all be in on creating a clean energy economy and on managing this transition 
so that people have access to affordable house power and reliable power. Other administration members there, Biden's climate envoy, John Kerry is gonna be there the whole time. The Secretary of State, Antony Blinken will be there. The EPA administrator, Michael Reagan, the Energy Secretary, Jennifer Granholm, and the US Transportation Secretary, Buddha Judge, will all be there for the bulk of the two week period. And now I'm gonna have you advance the slides to show the weekly schedule coming up, Bree. Yes, of course. Well, it's always crazy to me to think about all of the different people who are, you know, working behind the scenes and in order to make sure that these high level events go off without a hitch. So as we're looking at this as this at this weekly schedule and how everything's going to kind of be structured, could you maybe also touch on, you know, some of some of your expectations with with this this program calendar, but also maybe some of your hopes for um, the coming weeks ahead? Yes, and this is the presidency schedule. This came out of the UK, and it, they intend that COP26 will showcase momentum from the whole of society and focus on key issues to drive ambition and action. Progressing the negotiations will be at the heart of the moment. That's the number one thing. Key cross-cutting elements such as science, and inclusivity of people will be incorporated throughout COP. And we will ensure that a balance of mitigation, adaptation, and finance runs through the whole program. So week one starts on Sunday, Halloween, runs through Saturday, November 6th. On October 31 will be opening of negotiations. There will be a welcome to COP26 from UK leadership including from 95-year-old Queen Elizabeth, from Crown Prince Philip, her son, and then his son, the second in line for the throne, Prince William, will all be there, as will the Pope. Monday and Tuesday, November 1 and 2, is the World Leaders Summit. It's the first high-level meeting for one half days. Each of more than 100 leaders of nations get time and they each get around five minutes that's all they have to put forward high level ambition and action towards securing keeping us to 1.5 degrees in reach adapting to protect communities and natural habitats and mobilizing finance on day three november 3rd finance comes in the focus of everyone's cameras and to everyone speaking. We have to make sure that mobilizing public and private finance flows at the scale of the needed mitigation and adaptation. Thursday, November 4th is Energy Day. It's about accelerating the global transition to clean energy. Friday, November 5th is for the youth and the public. Elevate voice youth and civic voices in climate action. And in fact, on Saturday, November 6th, during Nature Day, it is the day youth and many other generations will be marching in the streets for more ambition. On week two, the negotiations start. Um, 
and they run through Friday, November 12th. Just before that, on Sunday, is a rest day ahead of that second week of negotiations. But on Monday, November 8th, is Adaptation Loss and Damage Day. Tuesday, it shares shared between the Gender Day. What I'm looking forward to seeing is the participation of women and girls increasing in climate action. On Wednesday, November 10th, is the Transport Day, driving the global transition to zero emissions transportation. Thursday, November 11th, is Cities, Regions, and Built Environment Day. And the negotiations are scheduled to close on November 12th. And I'll turn it back to you, Bree. Yeah, well, I just wanna say, if you guys hear thunder in the background or heavy rain, the thunder has officially reached us here in St. Paul. So we're just gonna keep plugging ahead though. I I will say, Jay, that I think it is awesome that these program calendars are so robust and that everyone at, at the summit is really leaving no stone unturned and making sure that we're approaching the climate crisis with holistic solutions and including everyone. And, you know, along that vein at Fresh Energy, we talk a lot about how we we really need federal leadership for climate, but we also need non-federal climate action if we want to see progress, because both of those things really help move the needle forward. So I'm curious, if we're looking at the state level, what role does, does Minnesota play in this whole process? in addition to what's going on at the federal level. Yeah, and Bree, could you advance to the next slide? This is a slide that combines two sources of data, and I wanna explain what this means. I want you to first look at the map of the United States. It's leaving off Alaska and Hawaii, but don't bother about that now. What you wanna look at is how we are in the center of the heartland in what is known as the Midwestern region. And look at that, those 12 states from up in the Dakotas down to Ohio, that is the bulk of the emissions that the United States emits, 32%. So that's why we combine this with the other list of global nations and how they rank as emitters. Now we all know that the Midwest is not a nation, but if we're a region, We've added it in there with the arrow and it would fall someplace between the fifth ranked emitter, Russia, and the sixth ranked emitter, Japan. That tells you that unless the United States manages to decarbonize the Midwest, we have no hope of adequately fighting climate change and global warming. So we're gonna keep this map up for a little while, okay? So the 12 Midwestern states, um, well, you can ask a question for me in the Q&A if you want to about why this is so. But um, what we did to deal with exposing the message of these data was we, we realized that those of us who've been to a lot of COPs in the past see a lot of Californians at COPs which is great. We also see a lot of people from Massachusetts and from my former home state of New New Hampshire. But this tells a somewhat different story. This map tells us 
what all of my friends from the 200 other countries of the cops always bring up to me. They want to showcase to me their intricate knowledge of the geography of the United States, but even better, they know the political geography of the United States. And all of them, since the first cop I went to, have taken me out for a beer or a drink and said to me, you know, Jay, I've been studying the United States political geography, and I know it really doesn't matter what people on the lefty coast of California say they're going to do, people on the left parts of Massachusetts say. They say what we're looking at most closely is the purple region of the Midwest, including Minnesota, because we know that if the Midwest doesn't support a policy, it does not advance in Congress. So it does not become a real policy. That means it's a bipartisan law. So that's why we need to focus on the Midwest. So for this COP, Fresh Energy has designed an event that has just been accepted and it's gonna showcase Fresh Energy and our friends in Scotland. And that will be available to all of you. And we call it, it's an hour to talk about the vital importance of rapid decarbonization in the American West, Midwest. If it were an independent country, the American Midwest with heavy reliance on coal, on manufacturing, would be the sixth largest emitter of greenhouse gases in the world. The Midwest is critical to the US ambitions to reduce emissions according to President Biden's goal of by 2030, getting to 50 to 52% reduction in emissions. But the Midwest has seldom gathered the attention that carbon reductions in the Northeast and West Coast receive. But encouraging developments are underway in the Midwest. As epitomized by Minnesota, with all coal-fired power plants scheduled to be closed by 2035 at the latest, announcements of coal-fired plant closures are increasing the frequency, but much more attention needs to be on, focused on decarbonizing all the sectors in the U.S. heartland. Our session will highlight the need for rapid Midwest, Midwest decarbonization. What are the encouraging trends and what are the very next steps that should be taken to accelerate them? Now we have a great panel of speakers and this is going to happen on Monday, November 8th and you'll get a chance to see it either live or you can get it recorded and view it at your leisure. I'll be speaking and then we are now in discussions with the Illinois governor, J.B. Pritzker, and we've invited him to be there. And he and all of his staff tell us he is working hard to get there. So that would be fantastic. Um, we will also have the highest ranking member of the Walls administration, who'll be a cop, who is Tim Sexton, who's with the Minnesota Department of Commerce and as well, the Cargill Corporation. Now, um, we are also gonna be joined by Patrick Hamilton. He's the Director of Climate Change, Energy and Environment at the Science Museum of Minnesota. 
one of the best nonprofit businesses in Minnesota. At our session at COP, he will advocate for cultural institutions around the country, like the Science Museum, using their considerable public visibility, both to showcase and promote vigorous whole of society climate action, including the most rapid commitment that was done successfully and completed years earlier by the Science Museum, dramatically reducing carbon pollution. And he's put it out there as a goal for other cultural institutions to all make. And then we're doing a second forum in Glasgow, Fresh Energy is. It is more of a Minnesota specific event to make clear the new Minnesota policies that are driving us in so many resilient and equitable ways. We'll publicize the data, the date of that live event. It should be confirmed by the end of this week. And you can watch it live from your home that morning because it will happen really in Glasgow in the late afternoon. And I'll let you go forward now. Yeah, yeah, we're we're really excited to to one to share more details about um, those events as as we have them and can publicize them, but also to to hear about the outcomes of those events um, and possibly even watch them live um, with those live streams. And I think we should take uh, a second again to underscore that this is a massive global event that we are really, really proud and, and lucky to be part of. Um, and as demonstrated, Jay, by your own upcoming travels, a lot of people travel from really far away to get to the summit. So who all is going to be attending this year's summit? Um, are any of these groups collaborating with Fresh Energy in any capacity? And maybe could you tell us if there are any Minnesota-based businesses or corporations that, that some of us might recognize who are also helping kind of lead the charge locally and, and beyond. Yes, there's a whole raft of Minnesotans gonna be there and they include government officials at all levels. They include many businesses, pro profit and nonprofit, um, lots of university students and even some high school students and people of faith. Um, and we work with all of them. Um, we're just, discuss the best thing you can do is to watch our live streams from there, get a link to the recordings of other events that you can't make live. And I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about some of the people we're working with. We've invited, as I mentioned, the governor of Illinois, Governor Pritzker, because he has just signed into law the Illinois Climate and Equitable Jobs Act, which is the nation leading equitable climate bill. Also, one of the speakers at one of our forums is going to be a Minnesota legislator, Minnesota Representative Patty Acomb, who has created a climate change caucus in the legislature that's been very, very active. Um, in addition, the Minnesota legislature in spring of 2021 passed two bipartisan bills to energy. One is called the ECO Act, the Energy Conservation and Economic Act. And the second bill, also bipartisan, is the Natural Gas Innovation Act to find the path to decarbonize gas, 
via the Public Utilities Commission Future of Gas Docket. And as well, in January 2021, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz announced his strong support to have the legislature pass a bill that gets 100% zero carbon electricity in Minnesota by 2040. And I'll turn it back to you, Bree. Mm, yeah, and I, I think it's really encouraging to know that there are so many leaders and, and um, different businesses and corporations right here in Minnesota who are you know, recognizing the urgency of this moment and using the resources at their disposal to, to help meet it. Um, and especially, you know, hearing that there are people in positions of leadership in our state who are um, helping to slow the climate crisis and really turn the situation around, I think is encouraging to, to everybody. I just want to take a second to mention that in addition to the work our leaders are doing, Minnesotans themselves can actually take action for clean energy by calling the White House or by using Fresh Energy's easy online tool to send an email to President Biden and Congress encouraging bold climate and clean energy action as we head into COP26. If that is something you'd like to use, you can head to our website, fresh-energy.org and click the take action button in the upper left-hand corner of the screen and scroll down and click on the correct campaign for links to that easy online tool and more information. Um, now that we've very briefly talked about, about personal action that Minnesotans can take, Jay, I'm curious, is there any other federal action um, that you'd like to highlight that will be in the spotlight at COP26? Yes, and I encourage people to live stream our events because let me tell you the venue they're gonna be coming from. They are being hosted by America is All In, which is the most expansive coalition of leaders ever assembled in the United, in the United States to support climate action. And they are the go-to partner for the Biden administration. And they are going to be housing a US Climate Action Center that in the last five COPs I've been to, it has been the most popular pavilion at the whole COP. It's where you find all of the serious people who really know what to look for is how much our emissions going down and how to make them bolder and more ambitious. So we're gonna be coming directly from that and I'm happy to tell you, we will be right next door to where the US negotiating delegation is housed. So they will likely be at our events and I will get the chance to talk to them. I have to reveal to you that in every other COP I've been to, I have always gotten myself invited by the credibility I've built up to meet with the US negotiation team, with the heads of those teams. And it's always a small group of people, never more than 10 people in a room. And we're not allowed to tweet out from those events. And it's a chance to exchange information about how the negotiations are going. Of course, I will be able to share that out with you after the negotiations are over. And I will. So I encourage you to please pay attention to that. Now, we don't yet know, and we won't know until November 1 or 2, when President Biden makes his, gives his speech. We don't yet know what 
bold ambitions commitments will get in what are called the NDCs, and that just stands for the Nationally Determined Contributions. But I do know things that have already happened, and I want to make this very clear to you. Biden's commitment includes a bill passed by bipartisan U.S. Congress a couple of months ago that imposes on the super warming hydrofluorocarbons, HFCs, they need to be cut within a few years by 85% in the United States. That one, that one big bipartisan support. And that means that will save the world if it's emulated by other countries across the world, which it already was before the US passed it. That means it will relieve us from having to forestall about half a degree Celsius of warming. That's about a third of the way we need to get. And much more recently, the US has pledged and now gotten 32 other countries to cut their emissions from methane by 20% by 2030. And that's a huge advancement. That would also cut the amount of warming by another 0.2 degrees Celsius. So that gets us together, altogether about 0.7 degrees Celsius. It's not as far as we need to go, but we won't find out what the US is bringing until November one and two. Now, and if you have asked questions about it, I will tell you um, how well we're doing in that. Um, but I think, wait just a moment. Oh. Um, well, I, I wanna say one more thing about the slashing methane emissions. On October 9th, President Biden announced that 32 countries have joined the US in a pledge to reduce methane emissions. Methane is the second most prevalent greenhouse gas after carbon dioxide. It is much more potent in the short term in its ability to heat the planet. It's the main component of natural gas. It is also released into the atmosphere from landfills, by livestock, and from thawing permafrost. The four heaviest emitters of methane, China, India, Russian and Brazil have not yet joined the pledge, but nine of the world's 20 top methane polluters have signed on. So that is good news. So negotiator John Kerry has said, cutting methane is the single fastest strategy that we have to keep us to safer 1.5 degrees Celsius and keep that future in our reach. So that is good news. But he also warns cutting methane is not a get out of jail free card because we need complementary efforts to cut those CO2 emissions. And I'll turn it back to you, Bree. Well, thanks, Jay, for, for giving us that information and, and looping us in on all the different ways that the U.S. is working to, to push the needle even further on bold climate action. 
I have been watching the Q&A as folks have started submitting questions, and I think we can now turn our attention to those. And I am going to start us off with a question from Power Circle member Florence, who wrote to us to say, I live in a rural area of Minnesota where climate change deniers dominate the conversation, most believing that climate is always changing and that issues go away with time. And Florence says she's even heard a woman declare once that she'd be glad to have palm trees growing here in Minnesota. So Jay, Florence has a question for you. And that question is, how do you approach climate change deniers? Yes, and thank you, Flo. Thank you for that question. And I think what was telling is you used the word a woman declaring that she would be glad palm trees grow. Um, and maybe you did that on purpose because what happens is people who deny that climate change is real tend to pick certain things that appeal to them. I don't know that there's any direct way to convince deniers. And one thing that's lucky for me in the next couple of weeks is when I'm at the COP, I will be with climate warriors. All of them will be climate warriors. They know that it is our biggest problem. But I too grew up in a rural part of New York State. And my district was Republican all the time I grew up. And now is more purple. But what I find works with convincing people is to talk with them about how the floor has fallen out on the costs of clean energy, like wind energy, solar energy, and even battery power. And to try to switch the conversation to talk about those real costs, because what they mean for real consumers in rural Minnesota and in urban Minnesota is that the way to save money on electricity is to make sure that their electric power producers get rid of their reliance on coal plants and then on natural gas plants and replace them with the much cheaper clean energy. That is why the point to Biden's administration's commitment to the world that was made in April, made it on Earth Day, he said, we have to start by switching out all the electricity in the electric power sector to renewable energy. And his proposal was to go from 40% renewable energy, which we have in many places today, to get to 80% clean power by 2030. And that's what we want to listen for at COP26 when he gives a speech to his commitments to the rest of the world, how he's doing on that and what are his commitments. And remember, when I talk to all these people from 200 countries who go to these conferences, they all know how the US political system works. You know we don't have a commitment to get something done until we have legislation passed in Congress. So that is what we will be looking for. Are there any other questions? Yes, quite a few kind of popping into the Q&A box. And I'm going to start off 
with a question from Emily that I see a few other people echoing. Um, Emily says, I don't see agriculture featured in, in that program calendar for the meetings for week one and two. So Emily is curious, how will agriculture be included in different solutions that you all are discussing at, at COP26? Hello, Emily, and thanks for that question. Actually, agriculture is included under nature because it is considered a natural land. And it is very well a very big component of what's going on at COP26. The last COP I was at was COP25. That was in November and December 2019 in Madrid. And there I was fascinated to see um, the biggest corporation that was based in Minnesota that was at Madrid was the Cargill Corporation. Now Cargill is interesting because they are a global supply chain in the agricultural business. And they didn't make any, they made lots of commitments, which they are keeping, but they didn't make any compromises that their business is very heavy on carbon. So I thought it was very interesting that they even bothered to come to a cop. And I knew the guy who was their lead person there and I've known him for many years. He used to work for Target, another Minnesota corporation. And when he was at Target, this guy, whose name is Greg Downing, he holds a PhD in climate change from Columbia University. And he studied that, not because he wanted to become an academic, but because he wanted to help global corporations reduce their carbon. So, I went over and said hello to him. I did not know that he had moved over to Cargill. And then it proceeded that in the next two weeks of that COP discussion, he presented public presentations to large crowds at COP and they weren't the same presentation. They were like 10 different presentations about 10 different aspects that they were examining in their supply chain that they would need to fix in order to reduce the carbon. So I was a listener then. And now I'm a little more of a listener because Cargill has started piloting, using their own money, piloting with the producers in the Midwest to figure out a way to get those farmers find a way to store carbon on their farmland and keep it there for the long term and prove that out to give them some revenue for doing that, to try it out. And initially they started with this in the southern part of the Midwest in Oklahoma, but they're based in Minnesota. So they've now moved it up to farmers to be available to farmers in Minnesota. And they're not asking for anything from the state or from the feds, they just realize they need to pilot those things. And I'm a scientist, so I know about piloting things. And one thing that I know very well is when you pilot a lot of ideas because you're dealing with a very big problem, like this one, climate crisis, you're gonna pilot some things that are not going to work out. That's just the way innovation works. And Argyll has announced that it is going to release data 
on things, pilot projects that do not work out so that other people can look at them and see what they tried and what didn't work. But they also wanna show people what does work because we all need to be collaborating, right? Remember that? Governments, businesses, and civic society collaborating. That means we need to be more open about information and we need to applaud people who are trying new pilot programs to see what works in their supply chain. And let me tell you, this Cargill supply chain is a global supply chain and they have made commitments to reducing carbon emissions across their supply chain. So that's why we're also watching them closely to see what they are able to do and also encourage all different types of businesses to do this kind of piloting in their supply chain. Because it's not just like we need to cut methane or just cut hydrofluorocarbons. We need to decarbonize the entire economy and it's gonna take hard work. So this is the good news I have for all the young people who may be listening. And please have them listen to me from the COP26 because I'm here to tell young people there is going to be a growing number of really good jobs for young people who wanna get trained up to work on some aspect of improving and getting rid of the climate crisis. And it's gonna be a high level, a high level priority for a lot of people for at least the next 20 to 40 or longer years. And it's not going to be about um, crawling off in a corner and hiding your head. It's about approaching this as entrepreneurial people and innovative people and people looking with clear eyes across the table at people they're negotiating with and determine how they're going to kick the tires of these things they try and how they prove to everyone else that these things actually get us toward zero emissions. And that's how we'll know that we're on a winning path. Well, that, that was a great answer, Jay, and very inspiring, if I do say so myself. I've got another couple questions about kind of COP-specific um, discussions, and then we'll kind of bring it back to the Midwest. I've got a few questions from folks about the Midwest and, and Minnesota, but Paul White um, has said, thank you for being the leader you are, Jay, and then asked a question, do any delegations discuss geoengineering in parallel with cutting emissions in, in the COP26 space? Um, I don't often hear it discussed, but I do hear every, every topic and subtopic discussed. And I think the reality is this, um, whether it's geoengineering or something like direct air capture, or carbon capture and sequestration, we have a problem in our country and countries all over the world. It's that no one has shown that we can run economies yet on 100% clean energy. There's always a little delta that's missing in every part I know of in the United States and in other parts of the world too, that we know 
we can get to 80% carbon-free electricity, no problem, but we have to put our backs into it and triple renewable energy in the next 10 years, for example, which we are not yet doing. But um, depending on what part of the world you're in, there's a delta, a missing chunk, that's like 10% of the energy in our economy. In some places, it's more like 20%, where we do not yet know a way to make electric power affordable and reliable completely. But we can do that with 80 to 90% renewable energy. But what it means is, the truth is we have already put so much greenhouse gases into our atmosphere that we need to look ahead and plan for the next tranche after 2030, when we get to 80% carbon-free electricity, we need to think very carefully about how we're gonna reach to get to 100%. And part of that, we know all of the scientists who study this issue, all of the studies in the United States show that we're going to need to capture some carbon that's already in the air and we're gonna to need to put it underground and keep it out of the atmosphere. No one credibly says anything different than that. So we're gonna to need to work on that too. Maybe not always, but we had better start piloting things and sharing information and about being very transparent about it. And we all need to come at this with a kind of an open mind because we need to do so much. This planet and all the people on it are so important to us that we're gonna work very hard to make them get through the climate crisis and come out on the other side. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for answering that one, Jay. Um, I've got a few questions now about specifically the Midwest. Um, I'll kind of blend two together here. Frank Kornstein is asking, what are the top sources of emissions in the Midwest? And then um, we have a question from Susie Holm asking, regarding the Midwest, will there be a discussion of, of the need for infrastructure to move energy and the timetable, maybe in, in regard to COP26 discussions or beyond? Well, thank you, Representative Hornstein. Um, Yes, the top emissions by a little bit is transportation in Minnesota and in most of the Midwest. And the second source is going to be the power sector. And then we also have lots of other sources too. They include agriculture, they include um, um, some parts of forestry, um, they include a big part is buildings and also the production of steel and cement. Those are very big sources. And Susie, the question from you, I think, was about the Midwest and whether we would be discussing what, was, what also needs to be transformed. And I think you were meaning talking about power lines to get clean electricity. And this is, this is a problem that we have to address right away in all of this country because if we are going to need triple renewable energy in less than 10 years, 
in the United States, including in the Midwest, we are also going to need to make sure that there are power lines properly sited that can carry that zero carbon electricity from the places where it can most economically de be developed to the loads, which are typically are big cities and bigger towns that need to use that energy. So we are really going to need to invest smartly, but start doing it very rapidly. And I know that it is on the, in the, on the high priority list of the US Department of Energy because we need to do that. We need to move power around to get to the places where it's needed. Hmm. Yes, absolutely. All right, I have a question here from Bill that I think is also great about um, maybe more specific on what Minnesota can, can do for climate action. And, and Bill is asking, what is the best way you think, Jay, that we in Minnesota can continue to advocate for meaningful action coming out of COP26? Yes, I think the first thing is to think locally. And um, a lot of what we're gonna be talking about in the Midwest Forum is we're going to talk about the need to electrify everything in Minnesota and in the rest of the Midwest and in the rest of the country. Because the electric sector already knows the key, the cost-effective key to producing at least 80% and more likely 90 to 95% zero carbon electricity. And that is cheaper. So believe it or not, utility after utility in Minnesota has found out what we at Fresh Energy have pointed out to them in proceedings. We say, we hear your coal plants are not running economically. And we want to make sure that you're examining that. And we've forced the Public Utilities Commission to examine that. And utility after utility have decided to close down their coal plants because they are uneconomic. So think about what that means for consumers. Because if you're going to have an effective climate action argument, you're going to need to think about people as people who have limited money people who are consumers and they wanna spend their money well. And when they hear that electric users are saving sometimes big on their electric bills, as utility moves quickly in Minnesota to zero carbon electricity, they start seeing this is a win-win and that's what everyone is looking for, to win on paying less for power and to generate more clean energy right here in Minnesota and show it to their kids. And people love those ideas. And the, the only abstract, slight abstract thing that Minnesotans are starting to get used to is when we talk about electrifying everything, we first talked about electrifying transportation and now we're moving well on that way with the Minnesota clean cars legislation, the regulations that came out of Governor Tim Walls, they are, they have forced and cajoled utilities to start looking at how they can be more profitable 
if they have more customers who need to buy more electricity, but they all want to buy clean electricity to power their electric vehicles. That's a win-win um, condition for them. And that is what we need to be talking more and more about. So Governor Walz um, convened almost two years ago his sub-cabinet on climate change. And that's why I'm really glad I'll be joined by the MnDOT's Tim Sexton, who is on that sub-cabinet. And he is going to be talking about this biggest source of greenhouse gases in Minnesota, transportation, what we can do, and has been compiling public feedback, which is a critical component. And they've moved forward very rapidly on making sure that the type of way to fuel electric vehicles is being planned well in Minnesota so that people have the ability to no longer have range anxieties, but to be sure that they can drive anywhere they want in Minnesota and get their car charged up where they need to be. And get this, this is also very good news from the last month from Minnesota and other states in the Midwest, including Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, Indiana too. They have all joined together and they're doing, um, they're calling it Rev Minnesota. They are figuring out a way for people to transport themselves in passenger cars, but also transport goods across the Midwest using more and more zero electron charging. So these are all hard problems, but it's great that in the Midwest, that's why I'm so great to have Governor of Illinois Pritzker join us in COP26, because it's a, an all Midwestern approach. And that's what we need. And I think that's what Minnesotans want too, because they look around and they see people very much like themselves, people who live in very rural and very urban economies where people are noticing the climate change, but as a very strong and growing undercurrent, they see these solutions popping up in a huge way in the power sector. And they know that the next part of the economy to electrify is transportation. And then everything else next. So this gives people hope that in Minnesota, all the innovators and entrepreneurs and financiers that we have can work together to help build our way better back, as President Biden says. We need to build new things, better things, and hopefully lead the world in this. Yes, definitely. And it, it starts with the small things that we can each do as individuals and families, and it, it culminates in the big collective action as well. So I really appreciated that answer, Jay. Um, we have rounded out our hour. It is 1.04 p.m. Jay, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to add or emphasize? Um, any more details you'd like to, to let us in on about COP26 as we close out this webinar? 
Well, what we're looking for at the end of COP26, we need to leave that with confidence and clarity on the global pathway for transition to a 1.5 degrees Celsius aligned, zero emission, resilient future for all. And we need to keep in mind the next decade, more like the next eight and a half years, is critical for delivering climate safety to current generations and to all people. Thank you very much, Bree. Thank you, everyone, yeah. for being here. Well, everyone, that brings our event to a close. Thank you so much, Jay, for giving us this really valuable insight into this upcoming event. Thank you to all of you who joined us for this special sneak peek into COP26. If you missed part of the conversation or would like to share it, we will have a recording available shortly. Thank you for tuning in to the audio recording of our webinar. As Bree mentioned, Jay will be giving us real-time updates from the summit, so be sure to check our website for that information. You can also stay up to date on all of Fresh Energy's work at fresh-energy.org or follow us on social media. You can also support our work by making a donation today. Again, visit our website at fresh-energy.org and click Donate in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.